0: Second Timothy chapter 3, which is the prophecy of the perilous times of the last days. It describes in 22 verses, from the first verse of the third chapter to the fifth verse of the fourth chapter, the rise of a compromising, carnal, effeminate, worldly brand of Christianity. This is not a description of the world. This is a description of a degeneration of Christians, their churches, ministers, and saints. And so when we come to the 12th verse, I want you to keep that in mind. It gives us a prophecy. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Here the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, tells him about the perilous times of the last days and the rise of a ungodly, worldly brand of Christianity. And those kind of Christians... If you take a stand, like Paul did, are going to persecute you. They are going to desert you, leave you, resent you, hate you, despise you, and do what they can against you. I want you to remember all that has just been read to you. And for those of you that are listening to this sermon at another time, and are not in this assembly, we have prepared ourselves by reading Matthew chapter 10 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. We have opened this assembly with Psalm 35 and we have had read to us Genesis chapter 4 about Cain and Abel, Revelation chapter 17 about the great whore of Rome. We have had read to us Isaiah 66 about those that would think they're doing God's service by persecuting and killing the righteous. We've had Psalm 55, the second half, read to us. And then Philippians, the last four verses of the first chapter that tell us, it is given to us to suffer on the behalf of Christ. And that suffering is a token of two things. It's a token of the destruction that's coming on the persecutors, and it's a token of the salvation that's coming for the persecuted, is what those four verses were referring to. And Paul said that you're suffering the same way that you've seen in me when I was in Philippi, because you remember that's when he was in jail, and that you now hear to be in me is what you're suffering. The same things the apostles suffer, you're suffering. We've had that as preparatory material. So now we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we have a prophecy. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now the yea and the all are there because Paul has just mentioned his persecutions in verse 11 that came to him at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, where he was stoned and given up for the dead. And so he's pointed out to Timothy, you know... Look at verse 10. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. You know the way I live. You know my purpose. You know my faith, my long-suffering, my charity and patience toward other people. But look what they've done to me, because you also know, verse 11, my persecutions, my afflictions, which came to me. And those persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, all. All. It's not just going to be me, Timothy. It's going to be you, and it's going to be all that you teach and preach to that live the godly lifestyle that He has chosen us to live. We're going to suffer persecution. Yea, and all that will live godly. The godlier you live, the higher probability there is of you suffering persecution. If you live in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution because this world, the flesh, and the devil hates the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great divider. When you see an athlete thank God for making him great, that is really little testimony at all. Why doesn't he thank Mother Nature? Why doesn't he get real with us? Since our president has said, and I don't mean our present president, but the previous president, that Allah is God as well, Why don't you mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it makes a great difference right there. Mention the name of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to say God did this or God did that because the Indians might even call the great spirit God. And the Hindus have their gods. But who has the Lord Jesus Christ? No one but Christianity. And so let's not be ashamed of Him. And So the text is saying... All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you don't suffer persecution, what's the problem? You're not living godly in Christ Jesus. If you don't see the sword of Christ, which I'm preaching about today, in your life, then you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Because if you live godly in Christ Jesus, it's a prophecy and a future tense promise, you shall suffer Persecution, And so I introduce our subject of the sword of Christ. Our youth have just come back from a retreat where they had a theme of letting their light shine before others. And I want to exhort them, as you man up and pull off the bushel and, turn, and flip the switch and let the light shine, there's going to be consequences. People are going to resent you for doing that. And some of those that will resent you as we just had read to us in Psalm 55 will be those that you go into the house of God with. They're going to say that you're you're holier than you ought to be. Out of this church, are you ready for it? Are you ready to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and bear the consequences? It'll help them and it'll help us to consider the cost of discipleship that following Jesus Christ involves. It's not a life of fun in the fast lane. It's not a walk in the park. Though, if you'll walk with Him and suffer persecution with Him, it brings the greatest joy and fulfillment in life. Amen. As we read in Psalm 35 earlier about how David said, Lord, if You'll deliver me, my bones are going to cry out that there is no one like the Lord. Even while those that say they worship the Lord are trying to kill me. There's no one like the Lord. Did you like those words where David said, Lord, will you arise and say, I am thy salvation. You want the Lord to say that to you and for you? He will if you'll follow him. I recently told you about a person suffering persecution because they left their family and national religion. It's our experience with all true saints to watch some leave us and despise us for various sinful, selfish causes. These can be family members, friends, or close friends in this body of Christ that have eaten with us in private and in public at the Lord's table and at our own tables. The tale of the martyrs told by John Fox in seven massive volumes that's been abridged for those who like to read condensed versions tell us of the horrible suffering and the family betrayal of those that have followed the Lord Jesus Christ in generations past. And it fulfills exactly what the Bible promises would happen to those that would follow Christ. The astounding thing, the astounding thing, and he wondered with great admiration, the astounding thing is that most of this persecution will come from those that call themselves Christian I want you to remember from Genesis chapter 4 that our brother Bernie read to us, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to Baal, Dagon, Molech, the Lord Jehovah, in all caps, the independent I am that I am. And yet he killed his brother out of envy because his brother's works and offerings were righteous and his worship was righteous and Cain's wasn't but he was a worshiper of Jehovah. And he killed his brother. I want you to remember that in Revelation 17, that our brother Mark read to us from the end of the Bible, John wondered with great admiration because it was a church that was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. It's astounding. Truly following Jesus Christ is not for the casual believer. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the naive. It's not for the thin-skinned. You need to grow some thick skin. You need to get some courage up. You need to know that you're in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are not above or greater than your master and your captain. If they hated him and persecuted him and killed him, do you think you're going to get better treatment than he got? You're going to get worse treatment than he got, according to his own promise to you. Are you willing and you're ready to follow him? I want to follow him. Do they spoil my soul sometimes? Yes. Do you want me to leap and show you that vertical jump again? Because we're going to rejoice and be exceeding glad. Don't smile too much at me, Brother Shane. Let's follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There's consequences. Young people, are you ready to do it? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to suffer a little bit of shame for His sake? The Lord Jesus Christ for the joy that was set before him despised the shame. Yes, it didn't bother him at all because he knew he was going to be seated at God's right hand and we're going to be seated at God's right hand with him in his throne. Read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 if we're overcomers. And who are the overcomers? Those that don't let a little bit of persecution and betrayal and departure of friends or family move them from their faith and hope in the gospel. If our captain suffered so much on earth and he's called us to it, surely we can endure it. This may not be an exciting aspect of the gospel, but it is indeed part of the gospel that needs to be preached for us to man up and be the Christians that we should be, no matter what trials or persecutions come. Is it discouraging at times? Yes. Is it painful at other times? Yes. Does it make you doubt yourself sometimes? Yes. But putting all those things aside... Let's follow the Lord Jesus Christ, our brother Paul, our brother David, and others that have suffered similar persecution before us. You know, carnal, casual, and contemporary Christians can't even grasp the conflict I'm telling you about because they've never heard it preached and they've never experienced it because the world and the devil are totally at peace with them by the work they're doing right now. Are you kidding me? There's no persecution of those that are in a modern, contemporary, casual worship type of church because the devil's thankful for where they're at. He's following them around and patting them on the back and blessing them because they're doing what God has commanded them not to do. They're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so the devil's happy. And that's what makes up most churches today, just like 2 Timothy 3, where our Bibles are still open, is describing... Deceivers waxing worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived themselves. And standing against the truth. They're men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the real faith. Though they claim a faith. And though they have a church. And though they describe their prayer bands. And though they have great volume boosters and amplifiers for their praise bands. It's all a stench in God's nostrils. As our brother David read from Isaiah 66, that when they offer a lamb, it's like cutting off a dog's neck. Now that's how serious our God is about alterations to His worship. We are not talking about Dagon of the Philistines or the Egyptians and their insect worship. We are talking about Christians, followers of Jehovah, and those following Jesus Christ, that when they make their best effort and bring a lamb, or they come into the house of, what they call the house of the Lord, it's as if they were scattering swine's blood to a God that hated pigs under the Old Covenant. I am not talking at all today, and I hope I don't have to repeat this, I am not talking at all today for us suffering persecution because of our own faults, because of our own odiousness, because of our own obnoxiousness, because of our own overt failures in our personal conduct, and we suffer persecution for that. The Apostle Peter dealt with that plainly in 1 Peter chapter 4, let us suffer rather as a Christian. Not as because we don't know how to rule our spirit, and we're obnoxious, we're failures in living up to the religion of Jesus Christ, and so they can fault us for our own faults. If we're at fault, God forgive us. And you should confess that immediately, we only want to go to trial before this world, our friends and our family, on one grounds, the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to go because we're rebelling against Caesar. Because that Jesus Christ said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Amen. That Lord Jesus Christ said to love your enemies and, be, and pray for them that despitefully use you and bless them that persecute you. So we want to have that kind of a lifestyle. Then if they hate us, they hate us because of Christ. We don't want them to hate us because of us and Christ. We don't want to mix the two. If we get involved, there's plenty of reason to hate us. You say, but I'm going to love them so much they'll never be able to leave me. When you get to heaven, ask the Lord why He didn't love them as much as you are going to. I'll have more to say on that. Our, our wicked souls will say, I can have my friends and the Lord. I can have my cake and eat it too. Because I'm just going to love them in such a way that other Christians don't. Do you think you can out love the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, David and Moses? No you can 't even get close, Amen. even though we 're going to try, right. and yet their own brothers and sisters did not believe and tried to kill them. Right. Jesus Christ brings a sword let 's look at Matthew chapter ten, Matthew chapter ten. I know that some of you are very tired from the retreat that you were i 'm aware of that, and i 'm aware of what 's on the back wall, and i 'm very conscious of it today and though you have no cause to, trust me. Matthew chapter 10. Stay with me. And I'll remember you. I have enough for many hours. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34. Many things could be said from this chapter, but I want to go to verse 34. Think not... And this is in the red writing in your Bibles that have a red letter edition. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Jesus is telling you, don't you think that I came to bring peace in your close relationships on earth. Don't you think that? That is not the reason I came. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he made peace with God for the sins of the elect. The angels announced Peace on earth and good will toward men for the salvation of the elect on earth and not the elect among the angelic hosts because there were none elected in that sense of the word for none of the fallen angels were saved. Right. But when it comes to relationships which some will say, well, your religion is just so divisive. Your religion can't be right because I want to keep the peace of our family. Well, that isn't Jesus Christ speaking. Because Jesus Christ said, think not. Don't think that way. Don't let others think that way. Don't let others tell you that that's why Jesus came. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. This, These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is why I tell you that if Jesus Christ is ever preached in the full counsel of God, as the Bible reveals and describes him, men will hate us. And they would hate him because all we're doing is repeating his words. Look at those words. They value their friends and their family higher than the relationship they have with the Lord Jesus Christ. They will not and they cannot accept such a statement as right here. They ignore it or they overthrow it. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. That's why I've entitled these two messages today The Sword of Christ. Verse 35, And if you didn't understand my words, I'll now explain them to you. For I am come to set a man at variance. I am come to make differences among men, and in their close, personal, intimate DNA relationships, to where there's going to be enmity, animosity, adversaries, persecution, and death. I am come to set a man at variance. There's going to be differences arising in families against his father. Have you had children turn against you? Parents, make it for the gospel's sake and never for anything else. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. This is in families. They say blood is thicker than water. What they mean is family ties are tighter than friendship. Well, if that's the case, then the Lord went after the tightest ties that we have on earth to point out what real discipleship is and what real Christianity is all about. He is going to bring His sword into those tightest of relationships and make variances and differences and division in families. Don't you tell me, or don't you listen to anyone that says but I want to keep the family at peace, then you are Antichrist. Only after we please Christ do we then seek to make peace. But we never seek to make peace at the expense of Christ. We will never compromise his person or his religion, his doctrine or his gospel, in order to have friends or family. We'll lose them all. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. Is it really easy for me to say? But let them go. As long as I have, I am thy salvation. My soul will be content. And the sooner we all say that fully and mean it fully, the better for all of us. And it's part of the lesson today. Look at verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You are not good enough to be in the army of the captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not good enough if you love your parents more than Jesus Christ's divisive religion. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross, and that is the cruelest instrument of death, and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You are not good enough to be a real Christian because you think that mommy and daddy are that important. And because you think your little children are that important. Because they're not. They're nothing. Just because they have a DNA connection to you makes them something special? Are you kidding? In comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ, where blood is thicker than blood. We've got more than DNA. We are partakers of the divine nature. With the Lord Jesus Christ and God His Father. You know what we teach in this church about husbands loving wives and parents loving their children and children honoring their parents. But when it comes to comparing that to our relationship with Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, there is no comparison. None. None. Jesus would use the harsher language in Luke chapter 14 that you should hate those family relationships in comparison. There's so much in this chapter, but we'll move on. I hope that in your reading of it last night, you saw repeated references to what I just mentioned from this one lesson. Uh, Let me go back to one. Verse 21. Verse 21, Jesus promised this, and Fox's book of Martyr shows the fulfillment in history, and the Bible can show some fulfillment of it. The brother shall deliver up the brother to death. Matthew 10, 21, And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You need to read Fox's Book of Martyrs and read about the family betrayal that went on, fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the sword of Christ. Contrary to bringing peace with family and friends, Jesus divides by his sword. There's going to be war in families over the person and doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and you can't avoid the sword but by compromise and if you compromise then you're not Jesus Christ's disciple you can't avoid it if you choose family over Christ and he fully knows the tightness of a family bond of what it can be and should be you're not worthy of being a Christian or a follower of him for family is nothing in comparison if religion will divide the tightest of relationships in family of course it's going to blow apart friendships But we're going to choose Christ. We're going to choose the Lord Jesus Christ, the high King of heaven. We're going to follow Him. We're going to be in His army. The Son of God goes forth to war. Who's going to follow in His train? Regardless of the cost. And listen, you're never going to be caught in a corner where you've got the enemy coming at you and they're going to overwhelm you and destroy you because He is going to say, I am your salvation. And he will deliver you. And there is great reward for suffering that persecution. But when it appears that you're in a corner without help, he's always with you. The apostle Paul had no one stand with him when he appeared before Caesar in 2nd Timothy 4. But he said, the Lord stood with me and delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. Look at John chapter 7. The Lord Jesus Christ is a savior of division. In, this, in the, my meaning being that He is a Savior and He divides. John chapter 7 and verse 43. So there was a division among the people because of Him. John seven forty-three. Look at that. So there was a division among the people because of Him. Did He come to bring peace? He came to bring division. Those who were the true followers of God and those who were not. Chapter 9 and verse 16. This is the chapter about the man born blind. I want the last sentence of this long verse. It's got three sentences in it. I want the last sentence. And there was a division among them over the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 10 and verse 19. There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. Does John 10 know about John 9 and John 7? Yes. There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. Whose sayings? The sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what were his sayings? I am the good shepherd, and all that ever came before me are nothing but thieves and robbers. Now that has a nice religious ring to it, doesn't it? As the Lord Jesus Christ takes the pulpit... And the 40 robed members of the ministerial association rise, yes, and say, we're glad to have you here with us, Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd, and all that ever came before me, meaning especially you 40, were nothing but thieves and robbers and murderers. Amen. You know what happens? They rush him out of the building to the brow of a hill to cast him headlong. Lord, help us to see the full truth. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. Acts 14.4. I hear pages rustling. I'll read it again. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. Look at 19.9, Acts 19 and verse 9. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Notice there is a division and a separation of those that are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and those that will not. Jesus promised hatred. Turn back to John chapter 7. I have a whole string of verses to read, but we'll just read one of them. Jesus promised not only division, but there would be hatred. There would be live animosity between the two parties once He had divided them by His holy doctrine. We love the Lord Jesus Christ just the way the Bible presents Him. I don't know why anyone wants to even take His name and then try to make Him into a Jesus after their own liking. How can you improve upon the picture the Bible makes of him? He's glorious. He's altogether lovely. And it took us more than five minutes to explain that. John chapter 7 and verse 7. The world cannot hate you. And do you know who he's speaking to? He's speaking to his brethren. Look at verse 3. They did not believe on him until after his resurrection. He had trouble in his own family. How many times do you think he took their cell phone and deleted their stored messages? Jesus to his brethren. How many times did he spread bad rumors to girls that his brothers were pursuing? How many times did he ever do anything wrong to his brethren? Never and nothing. But they're poking him and pushing him and provoking him here in John chapter 7. And he's explaining to them why he doesn't operate by their code of conduct. Verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. This is why people hate us. Because we say they are doing wrong. And people don't like to be told that they're wrong, especially in matters of religion where they think that it's a matter of the heart between them and God, and the rules don't matter, and little things don't matter, and the details don't matter. I agree with everything David said when he was explaining Isaiah 66, but now I'm explaining John 7-7. They hated Jesus because he told them they were wrong. He told the Jews that they were wrong. Paul warned in Acts chapter 14, when he went back to the churches that he had started, he reversed his trip. His first evangelistic trip with Barnabas, went to a certain city and then he reversed course and came back through those churches exhorting the disciples that we through much tribulation must enter into the kingdom of God. That's what God has called for us to do. And all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yea! All that live godly. Timothy, you're not going to be an exception from what's happened in my life. It's going to happen to you and to those that you teach. Therefore, the truth is followed by a very few in number, as the Bible tells us from cover to cover. It's Jesus Christ himself that causes the division. There is in the person and the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm starting with his person, something that is entirely antithetical and opposite the world, the flesh, and the devil. There is a constant adversarial relationship. The flesh hates Jesus Christ. When you are in the flesh, preaching about Jesus Christ is utterly boring. Reading passages of scripture about Jesus Christ are totally boring. When you're in the flesh, you can still get excited about Alexander the Great in Daniel chapter 8. Because there's a difference between the two subjects, even though they're both from the Bible. But the Lord Jesus Christ is contrary to our flesh. And He's contrary to the world. And that's why I dare you. I dare you, instead of talking about God, mention the Lord Jesus Christ. Because anyone in the room that may believe in God may not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to find out real quick. Speak of Him who's the Lord of the universe, who's your older brother, who is your Savior, He's your Apostle, He's your High Priest. He's the bishop of your souls. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. Why would you ever be ashamed of him? I'm going to tell you why. Because your flesh doesn't like him. Your flesh hates him. Speak of him. And there'll be more people to hate you. And then you can get excited because they're hating you because you mentioned the name which is above every name. How could anybody get upset about the name above every name? Because they're following a name that's below every name. They're following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Lord, help us to be faithful. Look at Isaiah 59. Can you get back over there to that major prophet of the Old Testament? And toward the end of it, look at Isaiah 59. Jesus Christ promised a sword. And I want to show it to you. It's all over the Bible. Do you realize we can't even get started in the Bible before we read about the first two brothers? How can you kill your brother? Did you notice in the language that Bernie read to us that it just kept saying, brother, brother, brother? Because I thought it was brotherly love that's in the Bible. Isn't brotherly love the example of love between men and people? Brotherly love? How can you kill your brother? You say, well, he had watched too much bad television. Well, I'm sorry to inform you, but there wasn't any television. You say he had played too many violent video games. I'm sorry to inform you there weren't any violent video games. But the Bible tells us how and why. Because he was of that evil one. There was a devil inside of him, and so Jesus would say in John eight forty four, ye are of your father the devil. He was a a murderer from the beginning. First John three, twelve and thirteen would tell us that's why he did it, and then they would tell us why. Because his brother's deeds were righteous. Now let's scratch your head for just a second. Because his brother's deeds were righteous. When your brother does something right, you get excited. Right, Alex? Are you excited about the things that I said this morning about your brother? I believe you are. Because I got the testimony of the best sport from top to bottom during the 48 hours were you. Yeah, I do quite a bit of debriefing as fast as I can. But I'm just asking, you you two brothers love each other. Why would you get upset at your brother because he got praised? Why would you get upset at your brother because he did something righteous? Because there is inside every single one of us a self-righteous hate of anyone that is praised or commended above ourselves because we are so incredibly selfish and we want everything ourselves and we all think that we are better than everyone else. And it's wickedness. And the devil is able to use that so fast that we will bite and devour one another if we don't get rid of all that. We should get excited when someone else is praised. We should get excited when someone else gets a raise. We should get excited when someone else buys a new car that we can't afford. Wonderful! Oh, that will eat at you. And it's eaten at people. And it was preached in this church on December 25th by a young man about the bitterness that can grow in your heart and a root of bitterness can spring up trouble many and defile many people. And it sprang up in Cain. And he killed his brother because his brother's works were righteous. Because God approved Abel. And you kill a man because God approved Abel? That is correct. Why did Saul hate David? Because God was with David and not with Saul. When you read 1 Samuel 18 and you read about the envy and the fear and the hatred and the murderous designs that Saul had on David, there's a reason. The Lord was with David and not with Saul, and he resented it. Do you, know what, do you know what you should do if you're King Saul and you have a man like David that everything he touches turns into gold? Forget King Midas. Let's think about King David before he was a king. What would you, what would you do with David if you were wise? <laughs> you are at my right hand, and unless I'm in this throne and I've specifically told you that I'm in charge for five minutes, take charge. Right. Do you know what? Pharaoh was wiser than Saul he took a foreigner that the Egyptians despised and said my throne is your throne unless I'm in it rule this nation we don't think that way do we by nature we are so wicked who of the young men in this church are irritated because Stephen got up to give the testimony for you young people you know I was sitting there wondering is there anyone in here Of the young men that went, that is bitter, that resents that, that is envious, that Stephen's the one giving the testimony for the youth instead of me. You say, why do you think that about any of us? Well, it's just because it's my job. And then I get to get up and preach about it instead of cornering you and asking you. So be thankful for the shotgun approach. It's just something for us all to think about. We don't want that spirit. Why, Why does Cain keep getting brought up in the Bible? He's not worth being brought up. But why is he brought up? Because you know what's lying in every one of our hearts? The spirit of Cain. Lord, save us from it. Lord, help us. Look at Isaiah 59. I'm sorry that I got so waylaid. Isaiah 59. I want verses 14 and 15. Does this describe our state? I know that Isaiah was speaking about various things. And another time. But listen to these words. And judgment is turned away backward. Fairness and righteousness is turned backward and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. That which is right and fair is not done anymore. Verse 15, yea, truth faileth. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Notice, when truth goes down, those people that try to stand for the truth, they become a prey. Other people want to shoot at them, destroy them, persecute them, despise them. Take any subject. The Roman Catholic holidays. Others accuse us of being weird, of being strange, of being wild, of being deformed Christians. We are holding the position that was consistently held all the way until about the mid-1800s by those who called themselves followers of Christ. But now they accuse us because... We, according to the 15th verse, depart from evil. And we're trying to hold up the truth. And we're trying to make this church a pillar and ground of the truth so they take their pot shots at us and they resent us. We don't have musical instruments. They say, you're crazy. You're cutting everyone out of the church church's worship that God gave the gift of music to. Well, no one, no Baptist church in the world had a musical instrument before 200 years ago. We haven't changed, we're trying to hold to the truth, and yet they attack us. We make ourselves a prey. I'm telling you that throughout the whole Bible, it's a promise that if you stand for the truth, especially in an age where truth has fallen to the streets, you are going to be persecuted. You will be the prey, and they will be the beasts of prey. And they're going to devour you. Are you ready to go down for the truth's sake? Oh, bring it on. Let's get that website out there. Let's Google it to the world. Let's tell them where we stand. Let's tell everyone where we stand. Let's preach it boldly through this pulpit, through that microphone, and wherever we can, let's live it in our lives. Let's speak it when we have an opportunity, with words and without words. Nathan. Look at Luke 14. Luke 14. Oh, Lord, help us. You know, that description that I just read in those two verses, that is so true of today. Yes. And I don't mean of the world at large. I mean of Christian circles. Because there are there are greatest enemies. Luke 14, very quickly, let me read it to you. Verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, It is so good to see you all today. And I hope that you'll look in a mirror and smile at yourself and say, I love you. Now there's men that start off their pre there's preaching that way. Oh yes, it's the Crystal Cathedral. Go look it up. It's bankrupt now. Praise God it's bankrupt. Amen. Luke fourteen, twenty five, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, sinner, all you've got to do is come forward and invite Jesus into your heart. If you invite Jesus into your heart, I can guarantee you on the authority of God's word that if you were to go out of this place today and be hit by an automobile, you would go straight into heaven. Heard it all my life. That's the the way Jesus preached. That's the doctrine of the Arminians. So let's start again. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children... And brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If these other relationships cannot be flushed by you when you come to Christ, you cannot be his disciple. If you're going to groan and moan about these relationships He's taken away from you, and you are not going to happily carry your cross each day. Though He took the real cross for you, you cannot be His disciple. Verse 28, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, All that behold it begin to mock him. This is not two verses of wisdom about construction management. These are not two verses about construction budgets. These are two verses about counting the cost of discipleship. You are supposed to sit down and realize what Jesus just said. If I can't hate my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, my wife, and my own life also, and my children, and my houses, and my lands, and everything else that's part of my life, then I cannot be his disciple. Am I willing to do that? Am I ready to do that? Will I stick with that? And will I carry that cross for the rest of my life? Jesus wants you to measure that, count it up, and do some accounting. And if you're not willing to do it, you can't be his disciple. Because that's what real Christianity is. This is an invitation the Bible way. I want you all to get up out of your seats and come forward down here to the altar. And here's something I have to say to you. If you can't hate, and it goes through that list, this is counting up the cost because here's what happens. If you start a tower without a good construction budget and you cannot finish the project, everyone that passes by that half-finished house, have you ever had one in your community? There was one on the way from Portage Lake to Dexter, Michigan that we passed, remember that? They never got out of the basement. They put a basement in the ground. They covered it with the floor joists and covered it with tar paper. And it was that way for the duration of my school years from the age of 5 to the age of 16. And we drove by it every day on our school bus. we just look out the window. Dad explained to us why people live like moles underground. Because they couldn't finish their house. They didn't finish their house. And so they were mocked in our hearts and minds, even as little boys, because we're supposed to mock them. That person didn't sit down and finish their plan. And the Lord doesn't want any of us to fail of following Him. If you're going to follow me, then you want to finish your course with joy, like my brother, my son Paul will. Jesus is saying, and Jesus finished His course. Are you ready to finish your course? So the point that I'm making to you right now is, from this passage, it's count up the cost. And there is a cost to follow Christ, but count it and pay it. Then he gives you another illustration. Well, verse 30 is the mocking. This man began to build and was not able to finish. Can you believe it? Stephen Eastland Jr. got in the pulpit on on February 26, 2012 and seven months later blows out on the church? What a joke. What a loser. What a hypocrite. What a bum. What an abject. Did you like that word from Psalm 35? I just went deep on that one. You haven't been called an abject in a long time. Isn't that how we would think? That is how we should think. What a loser. They didn't hold the course. They didn't keep the line. And that's the illustration that the Lord's giving here. We look at an unfinished building project... We say the person didn't do enough planning and they didn't measure out carefully enough to be able to finish their project. Now look what a disgrace it is. It's no good to anyone. It's worth They could have the money in a bank account, but now it's stuck out there in a half-finished project that's worth nothing or next to nothing. Verse 31, Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, this is what you do beforehand in a war council, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. That's being a loser. You know, when you send an ambassador with conditions of peace, that is not losing a war. That is saving your nation and your army to fight another day. But if you take your 10,000 to go against 20,000 and he wipes up the battlefield with you, you've lost the war and probably your nation. And so you sit down first and you count up the cost. Am I able to do this? Do I have enough resolve in me to stand if people despise me and hate me and leave the church and leave it small and say hurtful things against me and spoil my soul? Am I able and willing to fight that fight? And so Paul would tell young ministerial candidates in 2 Timothy chapter 2, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Right. Are you willing? Verse 33, so likewise. Notice, so likewise. Do you know what likewise means? And you know what so means? In the way specified, in the very way specified, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So that's the sword of Christ is promised in Scripture, and the sword of Christ is something that we should count up and measure and decide whether we're going to keep it or not. And so today, we renew a decision that we've made before, and that is no matter what, I'm going to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness that comes out of our King James Bibles in the way that we have and understand it at this day. No matter what is done against me or to me or by or among others toward me. You know, when David in Psalm 35 said things that I knew not, he's talking about a conspiracy behind his back. When they accused him of things that he knew not, he's talking about things that blew his mind, that people accused him of, that he wasn't guilty of whatsoever. The slanderous abjects. You want to know what abject means? An inferior reject. Go look it up in a real dictionary, like an Oxford English dictionary. An abject is a reject because they've been rejected for their inferiority. Okay, nine months from now, Stephen, take this pulpit and let it rip. Disciples are supposed to count up the cost. James and John's mother came to Jesus one time and said, in the resurrection, can my boys, you know they're right-hand men to you here on earth, can they sit at your left hand and your right hand? And Jesus said, are they ready to drink the cup that I'm going to drink of? They want my chairs? They want my platform? They want my exalted position in heaven? Are they ready to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And are they ready to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? You want to be close to Jesus Christ? Then you better get excited about one bitter cup. And you better be excited about one horrible baptism that overwhelms your soul. Because that's what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's waves and billows went over His soul. And for those of you that have suffered persecution, whether it's children, parents, siblings, or anyone else, I say to you, there's a place in heaven for you because you took that baptism and you drank that cup here on earth. But let's drink that cup with cheers to the Lord Jesus Christ and throw it down because He said, Leap. And so he said, drink. And, then he, and they said, we are. And he made sure that they got the opportunity. And then he said, it's not my place to give those seats away anyway. But he had got out of James and John and their mother what he wants to get out of you and me today. Are we willing and ready to drink his cup and be baptized with his baptism? You know? I wish that Mary had taught her son, John Mark, a little bit better about counting up the cost. Mary, in Acts 12, had a prayer meeting at her house. Mary was the sister of Barnabas. Mary had a boy named John Mark. John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their first trip. and In the middle of their trip, he went AWOL he left and went back to mommy's home in Jerusalem and would not go with them to the work. I wish he had counted up the cost because he is a disgrace in the Bible up to that point. And at the end of Acts 15, when Paul tells Barnabas, We have to go make a second trip and we have to carry this wonderful decree from the council of Jerusalem to all those churches of Gentiles and tell them they don't need to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Barnabas said, Let's take my nephew. And Paul said, There's no way. He's a loser. He's an abject. And there was a sharp contention between Paul and Barnabas so that they separated themselves the one from the other and you never hear about Barnabas again. But the churches blessed Paul to go with Silas instead of John Mark. I wish he had counted up the cost because he's a loser through Acts 15. And brethren, I've prayed for this once already. But if some of our persecuting enemies were to come through that door, And they were to come through that door with a spirit of repentance. They will be embraced and we will make their repentance as easy as we can before the holy God of heaven. And we will love and serve them like nothing ever happened in the past. We've done it before and we will do it again if God will let us have that privilege. Because I read in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10 and other places, the apostle Paul said, send Marcus, he is useful to me in the ministry. Praise God. Yep. But let's count up the cost. No John Marks in this assembly. No John Marks hearing my voice. You measure the cost and you be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. More after our break. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.